Hi, Alina. Hi, Adam. How are you doing? I'm excellent. How are you? Yeah, perfect. Um, even better, I think. Um, because I would like to know what was your first computer? Oh, I was getting ready for this question because I know that you ask every guest this. And I was trying my best to remember. But honestly, it was so long time ago, like 18 years ago. And my parents bought it for me. So I just cannot remember. I do remember the first machine that I bought for myself later on when I already was working, had my own money. So it was at 2012, I think, MacBook Air. And uh, yeah, I was impressed. I really loved it. And I think I was sold on Max ever since. You are unique. I think you are the first person who um, can remember a MacBook Air. <laughs> I guess, yeah, it wasn't that long ago, but still 2012, yeah. Yeah, perfect. What you did with the MacBook Air? Uh, so it was interesting. So I just used it for normal everyday tasks, like, I don't know, browsing, working with my email, messengers, things like that. But I was really impressed because before that, I always had like Windows machines. So that old uh, machine my parents bought for me or at work. And I remember I thought, okay, it's a whole different hardware and software. And I reserved like a whole weekend thinking that I would need to get used to it because it's like new, like completely new comparing to Windows. And I was impressed how easy the transition was for me. I didn't need to get used to it because it was so user-friendly. So that is mm -hmm. something that really impressed me about it. But what interests me, what is the um, the first um, action with the computer? So you start playing, you did, you know, because I cannot imagine you started, you know, checking your emails. Uh, but I was a bit older back then when I bought it, right? So I was already working. So I think the first thing I did on it is uh, like, you know, how you set up typically your phone, your machine or whatever. Yeah, sure. At but before? So, I mean, you, 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 as oh, a right. child, you, yeah. Yeah, when I was a kid, uh, yeah, two things that were interesting for me. One was internet and trying to browse things online. So that was super interesting for me. That is probably the first thing I did on that machine mm -hmm. and playing some games. But now, as you asked me about this, I remember when I didn't even had the computer yet, I was trying to set up internet on a super dumb old smartphone that I had. It, was, it wasn't even like the smartphone that we, like, we have now, but it was something, I think, on Symbian, or what was the name of the operating system. Mm -hmm. And I was really proud with myself setting up that, you know, black and white tiny screen to have internet access and trying to browse internet mm -hmm. on that thing even. So, uh, yeah, that brought th those memories as well. So were you more interested in gaming, playing, or something more useful? I or think... useful, how to call it, creative? <laughs> I think, uh, I, I mean, I played some games, but in general, I just like reading a lot, and I like getting to know new things. So I think for me, getting to access to all the information in the world and being able to access and download some books, that was more interesting for me. Okay. So as a kid, you set up your Symbian, and then you maybe you, you, you studied something, I think computer science, I guess, right? No, I did not study computer science. So I guess that makes me also not a typical guest for you, right? I studied economics, and then I learned everything I know about programming myself later on. Ah, okay. So what interests me, what was the transition from economics to programming? That is a good question. Uh, so that transition, I mean, I was always curious about those things. Even when I had a different job, I liked understanding, for example, how websites work. And uh, without even properly studying it, I started noticing things. For example, when you, I don't know, trying to add some page and you're using HTML and some very basic lame JavaScript for that, I started noticing some patterns in how that works and trying to figure that out for myself. So that was one thing how I got interested in things. 
But another is that I also got involved with one of the local developer communities, so like user groups, because uh, I saw that they were looking for volunteers trying to expand the team. And uh, that is how I got involved in that community and I became a community organizer. So we were doing meetups, conferences, all kinds of things for developers. And that is another, I guess, angle and way how I got into programming and computer science. Interesting. Was it a Java user group? What was it? No, it wasn't. So uh, it was, uh, I don't know if you know GDGs. So that is Google Developer Groups. Uh, that is user, uh-huh. user groups dedicated to Google technologies. So things like uh, Angular back in the time, Firebase, all things basically that got to do with Google technologies. So that was that. The, uh, the uh, Google Developer Groups are, is it like Java user group worldwide organization? Uh, yes, it is worldwide. Uh, I guess it's lesser known in our Java community, right? Because our yeah. tech stack overlaps very little. But yeah, it's also worldwide. They have some support from Google. They also do pretty much the same thing. So they organize meetups, they organize conferences. And uh, yeah, it was really fun time. We used to organize one of the biggest develop like Google developer conferences in the world. So yeah, those are great times. You organized the Google developer? Uh, I mean, they have this, uh, like we organize meetups, but also once a year they have this uh, thing where all those local groups organize a conference. It call, it's mm-hmm. called GDG Dev Fest and it's bigger. Mm-hmm. So ours used to be like 1,000 people. And yeah, every year we used to organize it. Mm-hmm. And, and how big was it? Uh, so for, for ours was so 1,000 people. And that is because mm. we couldn't find a bigger venue in our city. So where I live, it's like, it's a big city, but not the biggest. So that is the biggest venue we can find. So yeah, it was 1,000 people, I think, at peak. So you started with JavaScript? Uh, some JavaScript. And then I did some training in C++ because wow. the company that I was working at at the point, they had those internal trainings. And mm-hmm. that, the tech stack was that they were doing mobile development and some server-side development, including Java. But their vision was that C++ is a good start language because from there, I mean, they believe that you can take whatever direction you want because it seemed to them that C++ is a good universal kind of starting point. Uh, so that is how I learned that a bit. Then I looked a bit into JavaScript and Python. And yeah, now I'm mostly working with Java. Interesting. So I still don't understand how you, um, from economics to programming, so you are interested in website and then you end up organizing the largest Google conference, right? Google developer conference. So I mean, it's just... It happened by accident? Pretty much by accident, because in general, I'm this community person. So I like, I don't know, doing things with people and for people. And to be honest, to organize a conference, like you need to have some technical background, but uh, the skills to do it are different. So it's mm-hmm. more about, I don't know, making things happen and putting all pieces together. So honestly, you don't need a huge technical background to do so, especially if you have a program committee or somebody who is handling the program, then uh, yeah, those uh, those parts of the conference could be up to those people. So uh, yeah, it pretty much happened by accident, but also I believe it's possible to learn pretty much everything if you have time and if you have motivation and you have interest in that. So I can see how that is how that sounds a bit surprising, but uh yeah, for me it's it was a very natural transition. Even more surprising is from conference organizer to C on C training. I mean uh, what happened then? I mean this is a no connection between right between you know the way as or the connection between Firebase and C is uh, not obvious. Uh, 
that is true, but for me, it's easier to learn, I guess, uh, different pieces of information and then trying to put them together rather than having, you know, one thought out path to learn something. So for me, it's mm -hmm. okay to learn, you know, one day I'm catching up on something about JavaScript, then the next day I'm looking into cloud. So for me, it's just easier to study some random pieces of information and try to put them together. Also, this way I'm not bored. So I get bored easily. So for me, it's easier to learn some pieces of information, put them together, and this way I don't get bored. And eventually I come to the place where all those pieces just fall together and I have the complete picture. Yeah, that, that's cool. So um, you got a job at a company as a software developer, and this you had to learn C, right? This was the... No, no, no. I, I was working there, so I was doing things like product management, and oh, okay. I was, yeah, I was uh, catching up basically on programming in my free time and using that time to learn more. But uh, yeah, I was doing, like, my, 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 my background is in product management and working with communities. Okay. So what happened then? It was like, it was a long time. So uh, I had a couple of jobs before I joined Oracle, but uh, uh, to, 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 to bring some connection to my current role. So I was doing this community management and I met the role VM team through this, uh, through the developer community. And at the time I was uh, actually like looking to into a different job and uh, like trying to finish the job that I had and looking for what could be next slowly. And I really wanted to do developer relations because uh, community management, I really liked it, but also it was uh, like a hobby, right? So doing a user group, it's not your full-time job. Mm -hmm. It's it's very interesting, but you always have to combine it with something that actually, you know, brings you money. So it cannot be a full-time job for you. And uh, a developer relations job seemed a very uh, nice transition from community management because it pretty much felt like doing the same thing or something very similar but as your daytime job, so you don't have to combine two things anymore. So I really wanted to transition into developer relations and also the Grohl VM team was uh, looking to expand uh, their role team. So at the, at the time, I think they had uh, Thomas Wirtinger, who is our project lead, and Oleg Shalai as developer advocate. And we also had uh, and have Ola, who is doing our docs and website and things like that. And they were looking to expand the team and they knew me, so it was a nice match because I was uh, looking for a Daryl job and they were looking to expand the team, so they hired me. So how they knew the, knew you? I mean, because of the Google uh, involvement? Uh, I th yeah, I think we met just at some uh, community in Lviv because somehow they were doing a meetup here in Lviv or something. So this is where I live, okay. Lviv, Ukraine. So yeah, we met there, we talked a few times and uh, it was just a nice coincidence that at the time they were looking to try to hire someone and I was looking for my next job. So now, okay, so what do you do at the Graal? Oh, I do all kinds of things. It's very interesting because I'm a developer advocate and also our Daryl team is not that big. So I get to do everything that is blog posts, conference talks, social media, uh, working with demos, working with community. Also, we have a huge open source presence. So working with contributors, we have an advisory board working with that. So yeah, pretty much everything developer advocacy and developer relations. Okay. What was your last conference talk title? Uh, my last conference, uh, oh, I think that was JFall in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really loved it because it was my first year at JFall. I heard nice things about it, mm -hmm. but somehow I was never there in person. So yeah, it was JFall and it was also like, 
Jayfall the next day. And the day before that, there was a meetup at Utrecht Jack that I was doing with Vancat. So uh, basically in one week, I got to do two talks because uh, the dates were uh, nearby. So yeah, that was my last conference talk. Which Jack was it? Uh, uh, Utrecht Jack. Again, in uh, Utrecht. Okay, yeah. Utrecht. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, J4 is nice and Utrecht is also nice. So um, I also attended the conference before the pandemic. So nice one. And the J4 is in the near of such a, a, a colorful sculpture or building or something, right? Is Outside. it though? Because I didn't see much. So it was like a one day conference. So I just arrived in the morning, rushed into the conference and then it was very light. I didn't get to see anything. I was surprised by the uh, venue and location though, because it's not a very central place, right? So it's like a smaller town. So it's not very common. To where, where was it? Maybe it was somewhere uh, else. So if I can pronounce it correctly, it's Ede, which is, I think, a little town uh, east of Utrecht. Something okay. like, I don't know, 20 minute drive from Utrecht, I would say. But they have this nice, huge cinema where they do conferences. So it's a very nice setup because in, it's the Netherlands and kind of countryside. So you have mm-hmm. all the usual, you know, like canals, beautiful nature, wild animals walking around. So, yeah, it's a really nice conference. Okay. So, and and what was the title of your talk? Oh, let me try to remember. Uh, yeah, I think it was Supercharge Your Native Image Applications. And mm-hmm. it's about all the things you can do with your native image apps. So once you already started and you want to take your native image application to the next level, what you can do with it and how exactly you do it. Okay. So the question is, why you are promoting GraalVM? I mean, you know, this is um, because um, what, what's the deal? So what do you would like to achieve with, um, with, with your role? So what would be the best possible case that everyone will compile, you know, the Java apps to native image? So what is the, you know, the best possible outcome? Oh, that's an excellent question. I love it. Uh, for one, yes, I think native image is a great platform and everyone should be running their apps on native image. But also I like the other parts of GraalVM as well. So typically when I, for example, also speak at conferences, what people like to ask me is that when do you, do you not recommend GraalVM, right? So mm-hmm. what is the use case that GraalVM is not suited for? And typically what I say is that... Uh, always at least look at GraalVM and try using it because there are so many ways in which you can use it that most likely for your application and for your scenario, you will find one. So let's say native image is not working out for you for some reason, but maybe give a try to GraalVM Jet because it is uh, better suited for certain scenarios. So if native image is not working out for you, maybe a Jet will, or maybe you even have a use case for Polyglot. So because GraalVM is so big and there are so many things you can do with it, I think you can always find a use case that GraalVM will be good for, or at least you can try and evaluate it for your application mm-hmm. and your workload. Mm-hmm. Um, what surprises me, uh, if I uh, talk about GraalVM, developers think it's just about native image. And um, what's interesting, that the GraalVM itself is one of the fastest JVMs, right? Or the fastest. I mean, it's a really hard question to answer whether it's the fastest because it's as always, it depends, right? It yeah, depends on the yeah. workload, depends on the machine, depends on any number of things. But at least the goal is to be the fastest, right? Yes, the fastest, but also what I really like, and again, one of the reasons why I was fascinated with GraalVM in the first place is that it's trying to be the fastest for all the languages. And I think it's a really nice and noble mission because not every language has a, f- a huge team working on the implementation. So not every language has the 
team and you know a time to make a really fast implementation and i really like the girl vm is trying to achieve this for all the languages or at least give a platform for people to get it to achieve for all the languages so that is really great but what you said about girl vm and people associating with with native image i agree that is always the case so every time i hear people asking me hey i cannot get this to work with girl vm so what do you recommend i know that they typically ask about native image because for them yes girl vm equals native image exactly and <clears throat> what girl vm is is like the jvm then it's like JVM plus external libraries, which make the polyglot environment, right? So this is, and then the native image. And um, we had already a couple of podcasts with Thomas Wirtinger right. and Sean Smith. So, and, uh, and, and um, what we, uh, what we um, actually covered is the, uh, the polyglot part, because what's interesting is the polyglot part. So what you can do is you can run, Python, R, I think, JavaScript uh, inside, um, um, or even WebAssembly even, yes. inside uh, GraalVM. And the cool part is they can communicate with each other. So you can you can call a you no know, Python, can call Java and vice versa. And then you can, how to call it, cross-compile the entire thing to native image. So this is the amazing part. So that you can actually uh, create it, right? Cross-compile Node.js and Python and Java to a native image, which is native image means one executable file which you can start very fast, and uh, it consumes a fraction of memory, which uh, JVM will usually take, right? Yeah, that is pretty fascinating. Uh, one thing I need to add there that is that those languages like JavaScript and Python, they will still be dynamically executed. So you can compile such application and you will compile the Java parts ahead of time. But things like JavaScript and Python, that will be included in the executable, but they will still be dynamically executed. So we wouldn't have to compile those, but you will indeed get a one final executable with those languages included. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you know, what's the progress or the deal with uh, WebAssembly? Is there something uh, larger going on or is it still a preview or what, you know? What so we are, we are working on it, uh, but uh, yeah, it's just GraalVM is so big and there are so many things to work on that we need to somehow prioritize. So we are slowly working on it. There is something happening with every release. And most recently, I don't know if you've seen this uh, post on Twitter, but there were some people who... Uh, got Doom, like the WebAssembly mm -hmm. port of Doom to run on top of GraalVM. And it basically worked out of the box, I think. They probably, I think, fixed like one or two minor minor things, but I got it to work on GraalVM. So that was a nice thing to see, which means that our WASM is, implementation is pretty uh, compatible and you can get good, decent applications to work with it. So yeah, that was a nice change to see. And we were ourselves uh, happy to see something like this being uh, happening. But also I'm happy that you mentioned Polyglot because I myself am a big believer in the Polyglot capabilities of GraalVM. And I always advocate for this because I see a lot of attention to native image and it's not surprising because it is indeed uh, pretty much revolutionary and there are so many things you can accomplish with it. But also I believe in Polyglot. And uh, while some people say that Polyglot is a nice kind of researchy thing to play with, but for production workloads, it's probably would be harder to adopt, but we see so many people and so many teams using it in production to extend, for example, the Java application with some other languages and libraries. So I'm happy that you brought up Polyglot because I also believe that it has a lot of potential and a lot of good usage in the community. Mm -hmm. uh, one, one story I would like to share you with the Polyglot. So by accident, um, it was a few years ago, 
I switched to GraalVM and forgot about that. And then I built one year uh, my web components and uh, all, you know, the Node.js stuff. And then in one point of time, I was just curious which version of the uh, NPM I'm using. And mm -hmm. then I just did the you Node know, version. And I saw that actually without noticing, I run, run the entire year on GraalVM. Which is actually uh, great for the compatibility. It just worked, you know. And it's like, hey, why GraalVM? I forgot about that. And then, <laughs> and um, another killer use case we did several times actually with GraalVM. So before GraalVM, I did it with Naswan. This is like the uh, the Java uh, right. JDK. Um, how to, how, what was it? Was a Java implementation or engine, accelerated engine for yeah. JavaScript? Yeah, it was faster than the uh, Rhino on from from Netscape, but uh, it is not as sophisticated as GraalVM. But what we did back then and now with GraalVM, sometimes you need some JavaScript libraries. Uh, for instance, um, what we uh, sometimes do or have to do in Java is you now you have like an invoice or contract, and you would like to format it properly, and in HTML, and then we use mustache or handlebars so like JavaScript libraries. And with GraalVM, you can absolutely load them to Java and, you know, pass Java properties and this external template will render HTML for you. So this is what uh, we did several times with GraalVM. It is great. So it's not like, you know, we are uh, just running Polyglot because of fun, but more like uh, we have some external libraries and we would like to use them, reuse them from Java. And this, this worked really well. Yes. And I think that's the whole uh, reason why we have those polyglot capabilities in GraalVM, right? Because every language has its own benefits and has its own big ecosystem of tools and libraries that are already implemented and have been tested and have been used by users for many years. So it's nice to give users an opportunity from a different language ecosystem to use those as well. And I think specifically our JavaScript engine is a good example of for that because we see this very often that people are using some JavaScript libraries from Java or, for example, are using GraalVM to do server-side rendering of JavaVM. And it's really good because you can have just GraalVM on your server side and you can do both Java and JavaScript there and it will just work basically out of the box. Mm -hmm. You talk about the GraalVM optimizations or, or native image. What would be the gist? So if you, um, what was, you know, the best practice or whatever you, you talked in your in your session? Right. So the idea I had for that session is that uh, I think at this point, many people already have tried native image and believe that it's helpful and saw its benefits. And what I was trying to do with that session is help them to adopt it for real production workloads. So to show them how can you improve performance? How do you test such native image applications? What else can you do with it? How do you configure things like reflection? So all those practical things, my assumption was that, okay, maybe they have already seen native image, have tried building some Hello World applications, but how do they approach all those everyday tasks and solve all those uh, problems they're trying to solve at work when they would use native image. So I wanted to show those practical things to do with native image. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, you said problems, but uh, how, how GraalVM is working is my understanding is that it tries to find all the references and then, you know, cross-compile them in something static. And the problem with Java, it is, is dynamic. So we can have class loading or, you know, class for name new instance. So it loads something from, from Periflection, what you said. And I think the main challenge is to to tell GraalVM, you know, what the actual reference is, right? So you have to use annotation or some configuration to tell GraalVM this 
class for name, what happens there, I'm loading this class. And if you know this class, it will just compile. It has to compile, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Indeed, like a challenge with native image is that the compilation is happening under closed role assumptions. So everything needs to be known at build time. But uh, that is maybe a challenge in a way of native image, but also I believe it's a huge benefit because otherwise you cannot do ahead of time compilation and otherwise you would need to do all those things at runtime, meaning that you would need to spend time in it and you would need to spend resources in it. So in a way, it is a limitation that we are doing this under closed role assumption, but also that's pretty much the only way to do it because if you want to compile ahead of time, we need to know all those things at build time. So this is helpful in a way, but also I believe that closed role assumption is helpful in another way, and that is that by using closed world assumption, we can uh, apply some more aggressive optimizations because we know the whole picture of your application at the image build time. So this way we can apply some more aggressive optimizations because we know that everything there is to know about your application is known to us at the, the build time. So closed mm -hmm. world assumption, yes, it's uh, it has its challenging but challenges, but also it has its benefits as well. So let's say um, I have a jar. I built a, a library. And this library has a reference to a class which is loaded dynamically per reflection. Uh, and you get this jar and you would like to do, you know, the, um, the native compilation. What you will do, so it will break maybe at the first attempt, right? So the first, first idea would be to start and try it first, right? Yep. And then you get an so, error. Yeah, for, for all those dynamic features uh, that you're trying to use from Java, there is a number of ways to do so. One thing is if you're using some framework that is compatible with native image, and most of those uh, typical microservice frameworks are, so Spring Boot, Micronaut, Porcus, Halden, whatever, uh, most likely they will help you figure out those things for you in a way. So they will either provide a configuration or will have another way to tell native image what exactly is happening at runtime and help us figure that out. So ideally, that information would be coming from a library, from a framework, or another thing to do so would be we have a tracing agent that is coming with native image. So if for some reason this configuration is not coming from those ex external sources, you can run this tracing agent and it will observe your application behavior in a JIT mode and it will provide this configuration for you. So that is that, only it's very helpful, but we typically also ask people every time you have this configuration provided by tracing agent, also look at it manually and make sure it's complete because to be 100% sure you still need to check it. So it does this work for you, but you still might want to check that it's complete. And then in the worst case scenario, so the last resort is that if for some reason neither of those scenarios are working and helpful, you can provide this configuration yourself. Yeah. I mean, uh, the concrete use case is what uh, happened to me once. I had to use mm -hmm. you know, an ancient JDBC driver. And if you think about JDBC driver, they always use reflection because you know the very right. first call driver driver manager get connection is always reflection behind the scenes. So and I, I didn't even try it. So okay, it won't work. So forget it, right? So because I was too lazy. But um, the tracing agent is actually interesting because what agent is it is loaded to JVM and it can intercept. You know, it has more control what happens internally. And you said that this agent is creating the configuration for me, all the yes. dependencies. So uh, 
it's actually also a very cool demo that we are sometimes using is that uh, we are showing you how to build an application that, let's say, is doing You have to some- put it to the chat. We do the show notes, the demo in your talk, of course. <laughs> okay, we'll do. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I was saying here is that we have these cool demos where we are showing how to configure reflection using the tracing agent. And specifically in that demo, we are using a reflection in a kind of non-obvious, so maybe more functional way, not like a typical way how you would do it everyday life, because some more obvious, some more common reflective access ways, native image can try and figure out on its own because it's it's able to detect some reflection calls. So in that demo specifically, we are doing reflection in this non-trivial way. And we are showing, okay, here we are not using the agent, so we cannot access, let's say, this field because Mm -hmm. there is no configuration for reflection. And then we enable the agent in our uh, native build tools plugin. So that is our official Maven Gradle plugins. So we enable the agent, we run it once again with the agent, and we show that config file that previously was empty. And after the agent run, there is this configuration entry for the field that we are trying to access using reflection. And that configuration is provided there by the agent. And then the second time you're trying to build the native image, it just works because that configuration came from the tracing agent. Uh, So it is helpful, but also one more way how we are trying to help users work with reflection is, I don't know if you've seen, but but we have this Graal VM reachability metadata repository that we put up on GitHub. And that is this centralized place where users can contribute and then pull from it reflection configuration for their native image applications. So in the meantime, as we understand it, some uh, libraries probably it will take some time for them to provide this configuration for Graal VM. We've we've created this repo as like a centralized place for users to contribute and share reflection metadata for now for Graal VM. So that is one more way how mm-hmm. we're trying to simplify so, <coughs> this for users. Yeah, in one point there was I think Jetty, right? So there were some Jetty projects in the in the uh, in the repository, and the idea is uh, if I create my library. I could just uh, run the, or I, if I know, you know, what I'm using, I can just provide the exactly. metadata and and put it there, and someone can just pick it and it will work. This actually, we already had this in the in the chat. It's very similar to the, uh, you know, TypeScript. What TypeScript did, the um, definitely typed. What they as they started, the problem was there was no type metadata for for the TypeScript project, so they created the repository. There's a similar approach. You, you have the. Um, the repos- you created the repository, you know, to track the dependencies. And what TypeScript did back then was to track, you know, the types, but similar similar idea. So you, you are saying that over time, you know, the, the open source project can contribute the dependencies to the repository, and this will simplify, streamline, you know, the GraalVM image compilation. Yeah, right? the projects or even users, right? Because I think it makes sense that once you figure out the configuration for your library, you can also simplify life for other users like you by contributing into the repo. And I think in a way there are similarities to our polyglot capabilities, right? Because if something is already implemented somewhere, probably the easiest way is to reuse it rather than trying to implement it all over again. So I see some similarities between this repo and our polyglot capabilities in a way that users can reuse work done by some other people. Exactly. This is the uh, Graal VM reachability metadata. And yeah. uh, exactly. Uh, on GitHub, it's the repository, exactly. Yes, and if you look at the commits and pull requests, uh, so we have contributions from people from the community, which is really nice. And also we have some support from the framework team, so they also contribute this data. So it's easier for users to use certain libraries. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, pretty fresh. The last commit is uh, three days ago. So it yeah, is, they're actually uh, working on it. So I think we launched it like maybe two releases ago. So this is still work in progress, I have to say. But mm -hmm. we are planning and hoping to extend and build out this repo. Yeah, and it's actually uh, larger than the last time. So there is Logback, there is MySQL, Jakarta Mail, uh, Connection Pool Netty, Undertow Core, uh, MySQL Connector. So there are lots of projects already. Jaxby Runtime is there. Hibernate Validator, also using JBoss Logging, Kotlin Reflect, so JLine, interesting. Um, so, yeah, so you can just, you know, create a pull request and contribute it, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we ask you that you also contribute tests so we can validate uh, the data that you contributed, but yeah, it's pretty much... Developers love tests, so this will be <laughs> Exactly. Um, one question, because you, what, what you also ship is uh, uh, tooling for Visual Studio Code. Right. Uh, are you aware of it? So, uh, or I mean, uh, yes, we are working on it. Uh, I think in the last couple of releases, there were some minor changes in this area, but we are planning to have more updates in the upcoming releases. So probably there will be more news coming soon than there were in the last couple of releases. Okay. Why you should install it? So how, how this uh, developer tools for Visual Studio Code helps me? So there are two things. One is that if you're doing native image, it has some capabilities specifically around native image. So for example, it will be easier for you to debug native image applications in VS Code with those extensions. Second thing is that you can, uh, it also helps you install Crawl VM versions with it and set which version you want to use currently. So it has some features around that. And also it helps you with the polyglot application. So if you want to do polyglot applications, those VS Code uh, extensions will be helpful as well. Yeah, uh, lots of, of things is going on. What's, um, what interests me, back to the, to the uh, agent, um, this detracing agent we uh, talked earlier, does mm -hmm. it ship with GraalVM or is it an external utility I have to download? No, no, you don't have to download it separately. So as uh, as long as you have native image, but native image is something you download separately, right? You also have the tracing yeah. agent coming with it. Yeah, but also so it's a good question what about what... the native in image I'm installing with the GU, right? This is what I mean. I think it's called the GU command. Yeah, GU as, uh, as a tool that installs our components. And uh, it's actually, it's a good point that you brought it up. So, uh, because recently we made some changes to how the base distribution of Graal VM works. So it used to come with all the things like the JDK itself and then the JavaScript runtime, some tooling around it. But what we did recently is we tried to make it more modular. So when you download Graal VM by default, you get the JDK uh, as in the way to execute your Java applications. And then all the other components are kind of optional and you can download them uh, basically when you need them. So uh, mm -hmm. we figured that maybe you want to use JavaScript runtime or maybe some users wouldn't. So to make this easier for users, all those components such as LVM runtime, JavaScript, Visual VM are now optional. So what you get is a slim, lightweight base download, and then you can extend it with the components that you need. So that is one of the changes we made recently. Mm -hmm. So, um there are two interesting uh, uh, features of uh, GraalVM we didn't talk about yet. One is that the GraalVM is based on LLVM, right? So this is the uh, the open source chain which is used by lots of companies. Uh, so what do you mean based on LLVM? So uh, LL, LLVM is is used to as a compiler, basic as a compiler tool chain, which um, what means is um, 
if if you take a look, for instance, on on, on Apple, so mm-hmm. like you now the Swift also uses LLVM. Right. So uh, potentially, actually, uh, it is possible, you know, to call from Java via LLVM uh, runtime. You could invoke Swift mm-hmm. or C or Rust because Rust also uses LLVM. And I took a look at this, and uh, it is uh, in the early early stages, but uh, technically such a thing could absolutely work. So this is also the another amazing thing that uh, actually the GraalVM can be even more polyglot than ever by enabling, you know, how to call it, GNI, Java Native Interface. So uh, an easier way to call external native libraries. Right, that is true. And yeah, GraalVM also has an LLVM runtime, so you can run all those LLVM languages on top of GraalVM. And uh, yes, basically those polyglot capabilities are endless and we are sometimes ourselves fascinated when we see people doing some crazy things with GraalVM polyglot because there is so many things to do and so many combinations how you can mix and match those languages that, yeah, those are pretty much endless. And another thing which is also surprising, um, this GraalVM comes with uh, lots of, how to call it, um, APIs or, or, or proprietary APIs and one, I, I don't know whether you heard about this, it's called I- Isolet. And, and mm-hmm. what this Isolet uh, uh, does is, is like, you know, a small cloud inside GraalVM. So um, I just took a brief, brief look on it. So what, mm-hmm. you, what you can do with it is, you know, you can start a, a Java process, which runs in, inside the GraalVM. And then uh, it is completely isolated. So this is where the name comes from. And you can have you know multiple uh, lots of such a such a function calls um, in parallel, which is also amazing. So um, what what's what's really surprising, you know, how how much innovation happens within GraalVM. So I mm-hmm. mean, this is uh, uh, I would say extreme innovation in in Java, right? Uh, Java is uh, I would say already an old language. But there is a still of uh, innovation happens, uh, which happens uh, within GraalVM right now. Yeah, so talking about isolate, uh, I believe this is also something native image specific, right? So you can have those isolates for native image, and that is yeah, pretty much a container or like a smaller, I don't know if you can call it a VM instance within the process. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. it gives you some isolated capabilities within your application. Which could be perfectly used, you know, as in the clouds, right? Because you could have one, like a uh, server, and mm-hmm. uh, requests are coming in, and they could just wake up and now and, and go down, like you know, almost serverless Java within Java, which is crazy. So um, now, what are the limitations of native image? Because we're talking <laughs> about native image right now. Um, so uh, yeah, tell me about the lim- limitations. Because you said you know you should always try to use it, but uh, th- there should be at least one case where it doesn't work, right? Right, so there are some limitations around it. And uh, uh, yeah, let's talk about them. So one is that native image produces a platform-specific native executable, right? So uh, you would have to build on the platform that you are planning to run your application on. So that is one thing. Another thing is that you have this required build time step and you need to be ready that depending on how big your application is, it may take some time and some resources. 
So this is something you need to be aware of. And uh, but, but also I believe this is, uh, again, a fair trade-off uh, with how native image executes application because all this work happening at the build time, right? So sometimes people say that, okay, native image is great, but the build time for my bigger application is significant. So I'm spending time, I'm spending resources. But the thing is that you will be spending this time and resources anyway at runtime when you are running your application in a jet mode, right? So there is no getting away from all this uh, work, such as, you know, uh, loading classes, compiling, optimizing, etc. So you always have to do this work anyway, only with native image, you do it once at the image build time, and you do not have to do it every single time at runtime. So I think this is a fair trade-off. So this is another, uh, I don't know, maybe not a limitation, but thing to be aware of. And then the last thing is that sometimes people say that, okay, but the performance of native image applications would never be on par with performance of running on a JVM because of the you know, dynamic uh, code execution and having that runtime information available from the JVM and so on. But this is something I believe uh, that is no longer a concern or not a major concern because we are actively working on the performance of native image applications and it's pretty much on par with running on the JIT if you have things like profile guide optimizations and G1GC. So I think big performance is pretty much uh, not a concern anymore, but again, something to be aware of. Yeah, and uh, regardless, the uh, the native images for different operating systems, what I'm using is GitHub the GitHub Action for GraalVM, and which right. allows yeah, GitHub Actions for Exactly for GraalVM, this comes from uh, from your team, and this is actually great because you can build at once uh, for all operating system the native images. So and it works really good. Yeah, I think it helps a lot. It's just something to be aware of, right? Because sometimes when people first uh, you know get started with native image, they have this question: so can I compile across platforms or across architectures? So this is something to be aware of. But yes, I believe uh, things like GitHub Actions help a lot. And also some time ago, I believe like two releases or so ago, we also reduced the memory requirements of the build step, right? So now you can compile even bigger applications such as Pet Clinic having, I don't know, two gigs of memory available. So that also helps to use native image easily, more easily in things like GitHub Actions as well. Okay, maybe a uh, last question. What is the biggest success story you know about <laughs> Gravium? Oh, actually, I wanted to uh, bring this up myself. Thank you for asking this, because I think this year was uh, a great year in terms of Girl VM adoption. Uh, it will be really hard for me to choose one, but uh, if, if you don't mind me sh you sharing two. Let's do three, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, three works, because uh, probably my one of the favorite ones is from a while ago, maybe two years ago. But I don't know if you recall this, but Alibaba published a blog post saying that they're using native image in production specifically for this like cold start memory usage use case. And I love that story because it was one of the first such, you know, big stories of a major company uh, using native image under a huge load. And they had some really impressive results how they, uh, I mean, because they have huge applications, right? But also they have a huge load on those because they are like an online marketplace. So uh, whenever people are trying to buy something, they their server is under a huge load and they use native image. And it was a huge, I think, uh, 
testing scenario. So under such huge workload, uh, working great and showing good results. So I love that story from Alibaba. But also this year, uh, I think we had two new. So one is folks from Adyen using GrowVM in a rather unusual scenario, exactly the polyglot use case where they had, but, but they're trying to use uh, their, I think, was it C or C++, maybe C++ from Java. And they wanted to have this safe execution environment for native code on a JVM because Maybe for some, I don't know, some users, some companies, it's less of a sensitive scenario. But since Adyen, it's a payment platform. If an application fails, it's a huge problem because even one application failing, that could be, you know, thousands of lost mm -hmm. payments. So they really wanted to ensure that they have a safe way to execute native code. And that is uh, why they looked at GrowVM to try and use uh, this native code from, uh, from the JVM and having a safe execution environment for it. So I think this is really nice and a rather unusual story of GrowVM. And then another one is uh, Disney streaming using GrowVM for uh, Lambda. So they were trying to reduce their uh, application cold starts. And it was interesting how they came to uh, using GrowVM because they were trying to reduce cold starts. Uh, for Java, and they did a few things. So they tried to drop some libraries. They tried giving their lambdas more memory. So that helped a bit. I think they went down from like six seconds to three seconds startup time, but this still wasn't good enough for them. And they looked at GrowVM and then with GrowVM and compiling to native, they got to under like, I think under 100 milliseconds, was it? So yeah, they said that for them, it was a great way to have Java working on Lambda. And also using Micronaut, since it's a very nice, easy way to mm -hmm. do mm -hmm. native image applications, since Micronaut helps you a lot with all those dynamic features. So yeah, I think those are very nice stories, and I'm happy to see them happen in the community. The last one was Disney, you said? Disney streaming, yes. They have a blog post oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, about Incredible. it. Incredible. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Etienne... Uh, uh, mm -hmm. user story or use case. This is actually what, what I referred earlier. This is uh, also an interesting one because um, GraalVM comes with alternative way to integrate, you know, native code, which is uh, right. which is used a lot because um, you always have, you know, or always, sometimes you have, you know, to integrate a third-party library, which is written in C, Rust or whatever. And with GraalVM, there are several ways to, to achieve that, which is also interesting. And I would say, not that known, you know, uh, area because uh, people, uh, don't, uh, developers don't expect that, uh, expect that uh, you can actually call from Java native mm -hmm. co code using GraalVM. So this is, um, and one possibility is LLVM. The, uh, you have uh, several libraries, you know, where you can achieve the same. Yeah, exactly. This is very unusual, but I'm happy to see those uh, stories highlighting other capabilities of GraalVM happening as well because it's a huge mm -hmm. project and there is so much to do with it. And I love native image, but I also love seeing people appreciate other capabilities of GraalVM as well. Cool. Um, where people can find you on the internet, you know, your blog posts, your sessions, your Twitter? Uh, yeah, probably my Twitter is the easiest way to find me. So that is my first name, last name, Alina Yurenko. I don't know if you can link to it or they can just try sure. finding me. So yeah, probably Twitter is the easiest place. But also if they want to talk to me, we have this community Slack. So that is like an open Slack where everyone can join and ask questions about GrowVM. So that is, yeah, mm -hmm. another way to find me. Yeah, cool. 
Perfect. It was nice to talk you, with you. And uh, yeah, uh, and uh, Disney streaming is crazy, actually. I, I'm surprised you haven't seen this story because it was, I mean, maybe it's because me working on GrowVM because I was sure that like everyone saw this story. But also let me send you the link for the chat, uh, for the podcast notes, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will just, um, you know, publish everything. So thank you. Thank you so much.